Welcome to the Game Design Hacks. I'm Dale. I'm Tom. In this episode, we're going to try to figure out what makes Sonic 3D not as good as Sonic 2D. And we're also going to give our take on the Nintendo World Indie Games review uh, a couple of weeks late. Sorry. So this is going to be a long one, and if you'd like to skip to the bit you're interested in, there's time codes in the description. Let's go. So uh, off the top, we're doing the Indie World stuff. So um, obviously, this is not new news. It's kind of old news at this stage. But uh, we thought we'd go through anyway, as there's uh, some interesting stuff there. So Tom, what did you have? Uh, First up, we're going to have a look at Nintendo World. Um, We're we're a couple of weeks late behind on this, uh, but I think it's interesting and worth going through and we've also had a bit of time to mull it over um so yeah the the first game in the presentation was route 96 um do you remember anything about that dale yeah i maybe jog my memory a little bit um from what i can tell it kind of looks like a sort of telltale style game about hitchhiking with um branching narratives uh it it had a very telltale style uh, art direction as well. Um, appears to be a French game. So I had a, a brief uh, interview with the or, uh, introduction by the uh, developers at the end of it. Um, I think it's fair to say that we're an anti-French podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this does look pretty nice, like aesthetically, uh, apart from the fact that it's French. Um, yeah, it does mm. look, yeah, really nice style here. And this is the one with the multiple endings and stuff, hey? Yeah, there's a couple of other games in this list which sort of have that telltale feel to it, which is kind of interesting because it it feels like there's been a game development's amount of time since Telltale Games closed. Yes, that's 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 true. Did they have a French studio? I don't think so. I think they were based in California. Yeah, but yeah, it's. uh, I, I wonder if this is you know. Um, a bunch of other studios sort of trying to fill the hole that uh, Telltale left. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's it. I, I think one of the things that Telltale brought that was really interesting was that whole um, that TV-like multi-episode run thing. Um, so it's it's good to see that this aspect of their storytelling style has kind of come back, but it, it is kind of a shame to see that episodic thing kind of disappear. Yeah, it's... Um, I can't think of any games that are doing it at the moment. Um, I... I've recently been playing Kentucky Road Zero, um, which was released in a sort of similar way, but I think there was like more and more time between every release in every chapter of that game. Um, so I wonder if, you know, it's game development's just sort of too unpredictable to reliably release episodic games like that. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so d- did you uh, get when this one was coming out? Uh, no, I didn't. Um, soon, hopefully. Yeah, just looking it up on uh, Steam, it's... Um summer 2021 don't know what hemisphere they're in so it's either your summer or it's my summer um i'm guessing it's your summer yeah sounds like french summer all oh, right french summer yeah Ugh, sacre bleu <laughs> man <laughs> um, um, then, yeah then aerial knights never yield was after that um so what do you think of this one well it um it made me think of cannibal a lot 
um, mm. both aesthetically and gameplay wise. Um, yeah, this one yeah reminded me of Bit Trip quite a bit in that same way. Yeah, um, I, I think for us um, who were both working as Flash developers um, twelve years ago when those games came out. Um, at, I'm sure it felt very familiar to you in the same way that it did to me. And um, I just, yeah, wonder how much appetite there is for that sort of infinite runner. Yes, absolutely. It, it comes with a little bit of a story there for Ariel Knight, like he's been popping up all over the place and it's he's talking about how this is a vindication of his uh, not being able to get into the industry and all that sort of thing and that Never Yield is a personal message about like his own journey into the industry and that sort of thing. I mean, that's remarkable and good on him. Um, at the same time, it's not like a big splash bang thing. Again, maybe we've had uh, oversaturation with auto runners, both with, you know, Flash games and Cannabolt, and I worked on Jetpack for a little bit. Um, so it's like, yeah, we've both had our fill with this type of game, but yeah. Yeah, though he, he does seem to be like a, a younger developer, so I wonder if. It's, you know, these are the sorts of games he was playing when he was a kid and, you know, now he's trying to push it forward now that he's, you know, making games. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's always a tough sell because it was like that with uh, Super Meat Boy Forever as well. Uh, like, as soon as they said Auto Runner, I just, like, my eyes glazed over. And I was a massive fan of the original Super Meat Boy, so I haven't even given that a, sh- a chance yet. And that's probably on me, but... Yeah, it's like you said, once you get um, hyper-exposed to some of these genres, you, you kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like, and then you kind of go, right, I think I've seen everything. So maybe maybe that's on me and I need to be a little bit more open-minded. Yeah, no, I think auto-runners are a better fit for mobile games as well, just because it's the sort of thing that you only want to play like a little bit at a time, whereas I feel like on the Switch, you want something media that you can sort of sit down in front of. Mm, absolutely. Um, right, so what else is on the list? Well, the next one were two games by Annapurna Interactive, um, which is kind of a interesting publishing house, which I don't know if you know much about them. No. Um, so basically, Annapurna Entertainment is like this, well, publishing house that does like film tv and it's got an interactive arm which these games came out of and it's basically the uh pet project of megan ellison or megan ellison um but she's like the heiress to the oracle fortune um and she's decided to use her pre-inheritance to try and create this entertainment empire right that's um that's interesting yeah but it's um they usually fund like sort of you know kind of more arty type projects um both in film and games which probably would have a lot of hard time finding funding otherwise yeah i've always actually kind of thought that um you know that oracle was kind of the quirky indie database as well so yeah yeah (laughs) um they've done things that i really like um like vice they've done things that i really don't like like uh, zero dark 30 um but their their games output's been pretty strong um and one of the things I've done, which I mentioned I was playing before, was um, Kentucky Road Zero. So, yeah, the the games that they've announced as part of Nintendo World were Last Stop, which, again, looks kind of similar to Road 96, just in that sort of telltale style. Um, it seems to be completely narrative-driven. Um, couldn't actually tell what sort of game it was from the, um, the trailer, 
I, I presume it's a kind some kind of adventure game, but um, yeah, it was hard to tell what was gameplay and what was just you know cinematic. Mm. Um, and the other one was Hindsight, which again sort of was very much an art game, and I can't tell what you actually doing it from the the trailer right yeah which um i sort of don't know how you feel about it but i kind of dislike those kinds of trailers which um sort of obscure what the the game part of the game is um find a lot of the time in this sort of like niche of the industry um you'll get trailers for games that again are trying to like present themselves as tv shows or movies without showing you what the the interactive part is and uh that's a i don't know what it is if it's sort of like a cultural cringe that um creators have about games where they they want to hide the fact that they've they've made a game yeah i i honestly get a lot more from uh similarly get a lot more from gameplay even short gifts or something like that when someone posts to uh reddit and says hey check out this you know this attack or check out my comp character's combo, or like, here's this mechanic I've done. I understand that not every game can be condensed down into like 10 seconds worth of gameplay, and maybe these trailers do kind of convey a feeling, and the game is about a feeling. So I, I really don't know either, but similarly, I'm not sure that, like, while it does look impressive, I'm not sure it's really um, kind of got me in its corner there. Um, maybe, maybe it won't, maybe it's not my style and it's does like, maybe it's very effective at getting the people it needs to get to. Yeah. And it might just be cause it's the, the earliest trailer. Like usually when marketing sort of things, you get like a sizzle trailer that comes out first, which is purely about feel and then more gameplay stuff gets released over time. But I, again, I, I never get a whole lot out of that original, um, sizzle trailer like i want to see what the mechanics are Mm, yeah so the um the next one that they had was ollie ollie world um did you ever play any of the ollie ollie games yeah um i honestly thought they felt a bit basic they felt like skateboarding auto runners to me yeah yeah there was a lot of auto runners in um this presentation Um, yeah i guess they're they're having a comeback um yeah like i mean it kind of had some neat looking things like the um multiple paths it kind of you know, reminded me a little bit of Sonic in that regard, which I think we'll we'll talk about later in the episode. Okay. Um, but yeah, like like you said, of the little bit of time that I spent playing Oli Oli games, um, I didn't get a huge amount out of. But um, it looks like a cool world that I've created anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do like that they've kind of I do like their approach to that two point five D thing because these this has traditionally been a two D series, hasn't it? And this is kind yeah. of it's it's. Um, first foray into the Z axes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, we'll see when it gets closer, hey? Yeah. So that one's coming soon. There's no uh, date on it yet, from what I can tell. Yeah, I don't know if they gave any dates in um, the presentation. It's been a couple of weeks since I've seen it. The next one's definitely out now, though, because I've seen it in the Nintendo store, and that's The Longing, which yeah. we spoke about on our Games Award episode. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, this is the one with the 400 days worth of game or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, look, now nah, look, on to the next one. <laughs> well, the, the only note I had on that was um, they had, like, an introduction to the game by the developer who, again, was weird and European, <laughs> and it, uh, it feels like a weird and European game. Yeah, it, it almost has a distinctly kind of Eastern European feel to it. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. Um, yeah, so the next one is There Is No Game, 
which from what I can tell from the trailer is a collection of mini games that seems to be strung together with some sort of narrative through line. Mm. Um, it's been a couple of sort of mini game collections popping up around the place. Um, actually, a friend of mine, uh, Kate Killick, is releasing a um, game which is a collection of mini games based on anxiety dreams that she's had uh, sometime soon. So Eggwin Gaff are on the show and um, have a talk about that. Right, yeah. So... It's kind of hard to get a feel for this, um, apart from it being, yeah, like you said, a minigame collection with some kind of through line. Yeah, uh, it kind of seems maybe warrior-wary. Um, yeah. Again, sort of very hard to tell from the trailer. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Um, I guess, I guess um, yeah, there's no multiplayer in this, is there? Uh, which is another thing for warrior-wear, too. It's like, I've, I find that stuff is a lot more fun to do like zany stuff is more fun with others involved i feel sometimes yeah no i'd agree with that 100 percent. like um i've never really sort of gotten into mini games outside of you know sort of your mario party or you know warrior type things where you know you're basically taking turns doing something silly with friends it sort of has more like a game show feel to it yeah is this the one uh is, is this the one that's on steam there is no game wrong dimension yeah that's the one yeah i mean it looks cool maybe it's worth checking out um yeah we'll see we'll see yeah maybe that's the one that wins me over to the concept of mini game games yeah actually as soon as you put it like that <laughs> I'm back off again. But look, the trailer is gorgeous. Um, I really like the art style. I like that they're kind of aping a few genres here. Um, you know, maybe there is something to it. Yeah. It's got um, overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam. Yeah, well, I mean, that that probably means something. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's got a demo. I'm going to play that later today. The next one is Teenage Mintant Nutra Turtles. Nutra Turtles. Nutra Turtles, yeah. Te- teenage Miniature Nutra Turtles. Um... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Shredder's Revenge. Yeah, so this is a, you know, a reimagining of the 80s, 80s 90s side-scrolling beat-em-up, um, but it's by the same developers that did Streets of Rage, which is, um, or the new Streets of Rage, which has been getting very good reviews and seems to be beloved by fans of the genre. So um, it looks like they're getting more of that, which is good. Um, have you played the new Streets of Rage yet? I haven't, no. Yeah, no, I've, um, that's definitely on my to-play list because I've got a lot of people at work that have been playing it and swear by it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, these side-scrolling brawlers were never really my thing, but, uh, you know, it does look good. And similarly, I'm glad that there's, you know, that they're kind of bringing this back a bit for as it has been missing for a bit yeah. um the art style looks really nice um it's probably not fair to say this that it looks a little bit like the scott pilgrim game considering the scott pilgrim game uh is has definitely aped this from them in the first place so yeah yeah no it's um and the scott pilgrim complete edition didn't come out all that long ago i don't think so um yeah if for the people have been waiting a decade for um side scrolling beat-em-ups to come back they're uh, they're being spoiled at the moment mm. yes absolutely what's the uh, complete edition did you not get to kill they put in the seventh finally put in the seventh x yeah I, i've got no idea to be honest with you yeah. um so the next game was chris tales um which is a jrpg um, it looked kind of interesting it's got like a time manipulation mechanic where you can like change time during fights and make enemies younger or change the location that you're battling um 
yeah, it's kind of hard to tell how deep it goes with that idea um, just from that trailer. Um, yeah. I couldn't tell if I liked the art style or not. Like, I'm sort of glad that it didn't just sort of do a Final Fantasy Salat look. It's um, sort of gone with, like, a illustrative look. But uh, yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me of... Uh, have you ever seen... I played uh, Double Fine's Hack and Slash. Yeah. It's got that kind of look to it, just with the big, bright shapes and all vectorish sort of style there. Um, yeah, it's cool. has kind of like a almost a, um, a paper craft, not paper craft, um, craft paper animation style like South Park. Yeah, yeah. The um, I didn't mind the South Park RPG. I thought they were pretty good. Like, you know, South Park aside, it was like they were pretty fun games. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. Uh, so the next one is Getsu Fuma Den Undying Moon. Said I said that right? Um, yeah, it, it looked like it had a cool art style that was clearly like inspired by classical Japanese um, painting. But um, I don't know if this is just me getting old, but it felt very busy to me. I found it very hard to tell what was going on. Um, um, yeah, it's really cool, again, with the visual style. Um, it does kind of look a lot like... Um, with that armature animation style thing, it does kind of have a bit of a... Uh, what was the what was the game? The Metroidvania um, with the sort of Mexican style and feel. Guacamelee. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, a little bit more bullet hell in places by the looks here. Yeah. Well, um, speaking of Mexican style, the next one was Aztec Forgotten Gods, hmm. um, which, unlike Guacamole, um, I think is an actual Mexican-made game. Um which is nice to see, because I, I can't think of too many other Mexican-made games. Um, I looked it up, and the the only one that sort of leaked out at me was the Kerbal Space Program. Oh, really? Yeah, no, it's, um, I'm, I'm glad to see uh, more Mexican games. The more games from the more places, the better. Yeah, this does look interesting. Um, yeah, I'm getting getting a few sort of hob, um, and then a little bit of jet set kind of going on there with that rail... Uh, yeah, the wall riding. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. That that does look quite interesting. I th- I think I'm in for that one. Yeah. Yeah. And then the um final game that sort of got like a full feature in the presentation is a South Korean game called Skull, which um, gave me very strong Rogue Legacy vibes. Did you say it's a Seth Green game? South Korean. Yeah. That is in like Robot Chicken. Yeah. 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 Okay. Cool. Yeah. Doctor Evil's son. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. No. It's um. I don't know if it was just the the art style, um, but yeah, it's, it seems to have like a cool mechanic where you can swap your head to give you different powers during the game. So it's uh, you know it, it looks like it's got some interesting ideas in there. Yeah, cool. And then at the end of that, they sort of did like a quick list of other things coming up. Um, there was Fez played it and rebought it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I'll speak about it later. But um, yeah, Fez is one of my favorite sort of games of the xbla era so i definitely decided i was going to double dip on that one yeah um what else did they have there was some sort of photography game um which i feel bad for coming out like the same week as pokemon snap yeah um, <laughs> that's bad luck um labyrinth city um which sort of looks like a where's wally type game which is you know, kind of interesting. Uh, that's a rally car game. Um, that's like a weird weaving game where you like ride dragons. Um, this game called Kiwi where you play Kiwi birds that run a post office. <laughs> and and uh, there was a House of the Dead 
game. And that was Nintendo World. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Indie World from Nintendo. Yeah, Nintendi. Um, yeah, look, there's there's some really interesting stuff here. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad to see, uh, you know, that the indie support is still really strong on the system. Um, you know, been hearing kind of mixed tales about people's success there, but um, it's nice to see this level of support there, especially at the moment with, uh, you know, Nintendo's kind of, uh, you know, they're kind of a little bit, little bit subdued at the moment, as though they're sitting on something that they don't really want to show their hand for yet. Yeah, it's, um, I'm just glad that, you know, games are still being made, um, especially at the end of uh, 2020. Which I know is a, a rough year for a lot of developers. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, yeah, well, like I've already dipped into Fez there. It's probably not fair to um, to be doing that. Uh, you know, considering there's so many new things on here that I could have gotten, and then I just went Fez. Yep, no, I'll have that. Thanks, and then jumped straight <laughs> in. Um, well, it's probably been about ten years since I've played Fez. Like, how's it hold up? Oh man, yeah. I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, can are we allowed to let Phil Fish back out yet? Yeah, uh, I think he's he served his time <laughs> until he quits the industry again. Yeah, well that's it. Uh, well, if we can get some kind of you know, if we can speed up that cycle, the um the I'm back in, I'm back out meltdown cycle, then um you know potentially we can get it done. Yeah, I might even get a Fez two. Hmm. Um, yeah, from what I understand, uh, it's none of the original programmers. It's an external studio that was just given permission to do a port and a portion of the revenue yeah i'm always um fascinated by these studios that seem to exist just to do ports of these sorts of games Mm. um yeah who are they and why do they do it well i do know the uh guys that did the switch port for catherine uh they're actually they're actually brisbane based a bunch of ex half brick guys um Although, you know, they, they do it under the... I think they do it under the publisher's name anyway, so they basically end up being pretty much invisible. Um, but yeah, it's just a bunch of guys do that because it's, you know, a good solid way for them to get ongoing work and maybe their expertise is in engine development. I know there's a bunch of ex-engine developers uh, from Halfbrick in there. Yeah, so they get given the source code and the original assets and, hmm. like, do you know much about the process? No, not much at all. If you know those guys, maybe it could be a interesting topic for a future episode. Our catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll see. I'll, um, yeah, I'll, I'll ask around and see what can happen. Right. All right. Well, with that, I guess we're going to go on to the uh, what are we playing? All right, Tom, so what are you playing? Uh, so I am still playing Divinity 2 at the moment on the Switch, All right. which is a lot of fun. Um, I've, I've restarted the game several times now, um, just because I, I get to the, the second act and go, I want to be like if I played a different type of character, and I, I go back and I do it all again. Right. So I know heaps about Divinity, but just for some of our listeners who might not know everything about Divinity, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Uh, So Divinity 2 is probably the closest thing to Dungeons & Dragons in a video game. Um, So it's a a tactical RPG um, built by Larian Studios. Um, Sort of spoken about the the history of... um, uh, see uh, computer RPGs um, a bit over the course of our podcast just because I'm obsessed with them but um, basically in the history of it there was the Infinity Engine games like your Baldur's Gates um, 
Icewind Dales. Hey. Hey. Hello. Yeah. Oh, I, I know um, I bloody swing to Dales, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, and then the, the genre sort of stagnated for um, a couple of decades. And then there was the Pillars of Eternity Kickstarter, which sort of renewed interest in it. Um, but at around the same time that, that came out, um, Larian released the original Divinity game, which was sort of a much fresher take on the genre. Um, and Divinity 2 is sort of like the greatly improved version of that. And at the moment, they've got a, um, uh, early release version of Baldur's Gate 3 out at the moment, which is very much in the same style as Divinity 2. Um, but I've been playing Divinity 2. Um, it's, yeah, like your classic CRPG where you build a character with, um, a bunch of different skills. Um, I guess it's slightly different than your traditional CRPGs where you don't have a set class, which follows like a particular branch of skills you can sort of like pick and mix from basically all the skills in the game so long as you've your character has the prerequisite stats for it um but it's got a lots of interesting system um systems that overlap in it so uh a lot of the games about putting elements down on the ground so like freezing parts of the map in ice or um, poison or um but the all these elements sort of interact with each other so you can create a big pull of poison and then set it on fire and that causes explosion or you can then pour water on that fire and that creates smoke which makes it harder for people to see through um so it's a, a very sort of simulation based game which i think solves one of the biggest sort of um gaps between tabletop role playing and computer role playing which is the element of improvisation right so yeah having these simulations that interact with each other sort of create you know things that you didn't plan for that you then have to improvise around whereas the the older ones you sort of have you know your characters and they've got like a set of skills and you basically end up using a very similar strategy um mm. from fight to fight and um things don't typically happen in the middle of fights that surprise you and you then have to change your plans around yeah yeah i, I get that feeling a bit too um like even games like For the King, which is you know more of a, a tabletop board game than an RPG, um, but it's like a board game with RPG mechanics. Really, you know, you, you do get that feeling after a bit where it's quite rote, and it mostly ends up being you know sort of inventory management rather than um, mm. rather than you know these exciting unexpected situations. Yeah, yeah, and you can sort of basically min-max your your character so. Um, again, you, you never really have to think your way out of a situation. It's like you've, you've always got a game plan for whatever you're doing. Whereas uh, I think this is a, a much more interesting way to uh, uh, have these battles. And the game really is all about the battles in it. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. So what else have you been playing? Um, I started playing Spiritfarer. Yeah, cool. I've heard a lot of good things about this, but um, I haven't really picked it up myself. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's a indie game. It's part adventure, part almost uh, like villager management. Um, but it's uh, a game that's selling point is definitely its charm. And it's really amazing 2D animation. Um, yeah, like I said, I've only played about half an hour of it. So hopefully I'll have more to say about it in the uh next episode but um it's uh it was sort of one of the breakout indie games from last year and it's uh very easy to see why so far okay yeah cool you know that, yeah. that looks absolutely gorgeous you're right um that's that's probably worth a look maybe i should do that instead of playing fez for like the third time <laughs> well, it'd be good for us to have a 
conversation about a game that we're both playing so maybe that could be a future episode of the podcast yeah <laughs> what ex- what an exciting opportunity to have another episode to talk about things a new topic yeah. oh wow um what are you playing dale all right well i finally finished uh immortals phoenix rising um or at least i finished the main campaign for that um so that was um yeah that was a really cool game the world was especially very good like it was just awesome to um to go around and find things and do things in that world and uh it's just full of everything that you kind of want it's nice and packed tight with all kinds of activities um but unlike a lot of other ubisoft sandboxes they're not all painted on a map for you to find initially you've just got to kind of roam around and figure it out uh so i had my most fun with that game uh when i was off the beaten track and i ended up being so damn powerful by the time i went through the end game that um you know i I basically first tried the endings um and i mean maybe block your ears if you don't want minor spoilers for this game editing dale here if you want to skip the spoilers for immortals phoenix rising then fast forward this episode to the 39 and a half minute mark but, like, seriously, fuck any game that has seven boss fights in a row uh, as its ending. Because that's basically it. It's like boss fight, boss fight, dungeon that's as big as any dungeon in the game. Boss fight, boss fight, boss fight. And you're just like, god damn it. Like, it's exhausting. And for the last three from that dungeon, like dungeon plus last three boss fights, there's no exit. Like, you can't go back out to the main world from then on. That's the end game every save point that you want from then on is like you've got to progress forward you're locked in from that point so for a game that is very much you can do whatever you want at the end there it kind of goes here you've got to spend like two or three hours doing what i want you to do and um i mean that was a shame because up until then i absolutely loved this game and i even liked the story i liked the world i liked the mechanics the fighting in immortals phoenix rising is one of the best combat systems for a real-time combat system that i've ever played um it's just so versatile and there's like it's so powerful it makes you feel like a demigod and that is like awesome and then everything that's in there is super powerful as well so it's just these overpowered attacks being flung up and back. But to be overpowered in Immortals is is really feeling the power, you know? Yeah, I find with like a lot of those sort of, you know, open world games with, you know, fluid combat, like often developers have a really tough time working out how to end games like that. Like the one that immediately springs to my mind is um, Assassin's Creed 2, which... <laughs> You spend an entire game, you know, running over buildings and having, you know, sword fights and the the stunning conclusion to it is a fist fight with the Pope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Beat up an old man. Like, yeah. 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 There's none of the skills that you learn throughout <laughs> the game are really applicable to <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think that they actually started with that and worked backwards. <laughs> then you should have been fighting popes the entire game. <laughs> throwing popes off buildings and (laughs) pope smasher the game (laughs) um yeah with the um bosses at the end of immortals phoenix rising are they like bespoke bosses or is it the thing that a lot of games do where it's sort of like hey here are all the bosses that you fought throughout the game having you know a final cameo Mm. 
Uh, yeah, it's um, a little of both. It's mostly just the big bad from the game. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a surprise boss. There's no real. There's no one that's really completely new. Uh, the big bad from the game, you don't fight him until that moment, but you do fight him two or three times. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it just, it felt like by the end of it, like, I really just felt like I was going through the motions. Um, you know, like, I had so much health potion and so much endurance and everything that, yeah, you know, I really didn't have to pick a strategy. I just stuck at the main dude's feet and just kept chopping and eating potions because I was just—I right. was sick of it by that stage. I was like, "All right, I've, I've already proven that I can beat this guy, and you've just decided you're going to refill his health bar, and he's just going to do the same thing. So I'm just going to chop at his legs. I'm going to chop him down like a goddamn yeah. tree." Um, yeah, I'll, I'll refill my own health bar. Yeah, That's, two can play at that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, if anything, I've got like 16 full restores of health that are stored up in my inventory anyway. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of an ugly end to an otherwise great game. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. Immortals gives you so many things that are inspired by Breath of the Wild, but don't take anywhere near as long to earn. So one of the ones that was a big one there, uh, it made me rethink the weapon durability because I, um, you know, I was kind of on board with that too. But then, like, I was thinking about how many fights I got into. Uh, when I was just going through the world, like what the Immortals Phoenix Rising equivalent would be of a Lionel. Um, in in Breath of the Wild, I would be cautious and I would skirt around the outside and I would avoid getting into that fight, which doesn't feel all that heroic. Um, whereas in Immortals, you see that character and you go, yeah, you know what, my character's great at fighting and the only risk here is uh, you know, to the amount of health potion that I have stored up. And so you just get into every fight. You become the world's thug. And you're just getting into everything and just mowing down mythical beasts. And you really feel like you... Um, yeah, like I, like I was saying, you feel like a demigod. It's, it's a great game for that kind of feel. So it's just kind of like the instant gratification version of Breath of the Wild. Which I know that defeats the point for Breath of the Wild, but... It's amazing how um, how both of those things can work effectively. Yeah, it um, kind of sounds like it plays into the thing I was sort of talking about before about um, having to improvise in the middle of um, fights. And I think weapon durability is an interesting way that, you know, not too many games have managed to pull off yet, but the, the concept that, you know, your weapon can break in the middle of a fight and you then have to change your plans around it. And um, it's one of the things I like about the Hitman games as well mm -hmm. is, you know, something goes wrong and you have to change your plans mm. it's um it's it's like a heist movie right like the the plan never goes off smoothly there's always got to be a twist and um being able to roll with the punches is the, the satisfying part yeah i guess so um yeah it, it's kind of a double-edged sword for me because in in breath of the wild i found like if you take that attitude where you don't give a shit about your weapons and you just launch into fights then you can find yourself quite shorthanded in future fights um and also like it just doesn't feel good losing your sword um especially if if it's one that was hard earned so i'd find myself with like two or maybe three really op swords that i just wouldn't use and then a bunch of junk um, yeah uh, that you just keep breaking and that's that's fine but yeah in in this it's like all right you're just doing that skill tree thing it had all the 
you know standard fare as far as Ubisoft skill training goes and I mean that that particular version of that game that they tend to put in absolutely every single one of their games with skill trees um you know like it it's not new um and it kind of works I guess um doesn't get in the way and it certainly feels good once you get a fair way up the skill trees but yeah it's not no, no extra points for for copying that from every other game they've ever done yeah no, um the the traditional skill tree like it's it feels like it's becoming a a dated game mechanic mm. like it you know the thing that like when i think skill tree the first thing i think of still world of warcraft and yeah how old's that game now like 25 years 25 years gotta be close to 20 years though right i think it's only a couple of months i just started getting ads for it again on youtube so it must be pretty fresh oh yeah no uh, <laughs> Maybe I'm misremembering. Yeah. Um, Lord of Warcraft coming soon to a store near you. A store. Yeah. A PC game in a store. Yeah. With a box with a CD in yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the other game that I've been playing uh, just a little bit is Fez, as I mentioned. And, uh, you know, I really, really like Fez for its kind of doesn't really hold your hand lets you explore gives you all the tools it's kind of got that um you know metroidvania style map where you're unlocking things and figuring it out for yourself and the mechanic is like it's good it's so good like it's and and the way they tie it together like i i'm having trouble precisely figuring out what the trick is like have they written their own sort of 2d physics system and they're moving you forwards and backwards secretly around the z plane or you know how how are they determining that are they turning colliders on and off it's 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 great to be here like 10 years later have that much extra experience and still not be able to quite figure out what they've done yeah yeah, no, it's um, and there's like so many ways they could do it, mm. but um, you have to imagine there's there's going to be some sort of elegant trick to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because it works so well. And even though you can't quite figure out exactly what they've done, and maybe I'll have a closer look and and spoil the magic for myself, or maybe I'll do a demo in Godot or something like that, just to just to see how it ticks. But at the same time, it's like. Yeah, it's 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 nice to be able to still be surprised by something you know so well. Yeah, no, it's there's um there's a couple of it's like a subgenre of games which are like a hybrid exploration slash puzzle game. Mm. Um, like the the witness I'd sort of put in that box as well. But is um yeah the combination of puzzle solving while exploring a place while not having your hand held is um it's it just always seems to work for me. Yeah. It's interesting. Actually, The Witness um, was free on PlayStation last month, and I did grab that and play through, uh, what, the first sixth or so of the island, or, you know... I, so I've, I've played, like, one beam's worth of Witness in the in the time since we last spoke as well, and that's... Um, yeah, that hasn't done it for me in the same way. Like, to me, that just feels like somebody's doing Sudoku in a 3D platformer that doesn't have yeah. any real actions <laughs> to it. You know, like, it's not a, um, yeah, like, I reckon yeah. you can recreate the feeling of the witness by just leaving a bunch of crosswords around a forest. <laughs> yeah, no, like, uh, it definitely doesn't have the same charm that uh, Fez does, but, uh, like, uh, I, I, if someone left a whole bunch of crosswords around <laughs> a forest, I would, I think I'd enjoy that. Yeah, actually, that doesn't sound too bad. Has anybody done forest crossword? <laughs> uh, uh, 
That sounds like another Godot demo. Uh, yeah. I don't have enough free time to make all of these. Um, <laughs> but speaking of things that I've been playing around with in Godot, I guess um, that would take us uh, neatly into uh, uh, what we've actually played as the design diagnosis for this episode, um, and that is Sonic 3D. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad game that needs to improve. So how can all right so uh in this episode we're doing a breakdown of what happened to sonic when he went into 3d now in the early days sonic was a 2d platformer and um you know if if anything i feel as though with sonic mania uh recently and in 2017 was it 2018 um when they revisited that they proved overwhelmingly that that formula was completely successful um and didn't require much to be modernized um and still stands up so uh looking at sonic forces from the same year you kind of don't get the feeling that it's working quite as well in 3d and that's a feeling that's kind of been going for some time um but when you ask around usually people seem to be in agreement that sonic generations the uh game from 2011 i believe um yeah uh it seems to be the sweet spot in that it has 2d it has 3d and it kind of justifies the 3d um by showing you know what what's what it's capable of uh next to the 2d stuff so uh, i had played this in the past um and at the time it didn't really make a convincing argument for 3d sonics to me but i wanted to uh you know uh take this opportunity to kind of go back have a bit of a look and see how i felt about it if i was willing to give it you know a proper chance um, so the way I went about this is I kind of played Emerald Hill over and over again in both styles. Um, and then I played Sonic Mania's uh, Green Hill Zone. And then I played... Uh, sorry, it's Green Hill in Generations as well. So I played Green Hill in Mania. I played Green Hill in Generations over and over again a couple of times. And I went to Sonic 2 and played Emerald Hill a couple of times there too. Um just to sort of see how it felt. So did you um, have a have a go at playing some Sonic Generations, Tom? Uh, no, but I watched a lot of videos of people playing Sonic Generations. Okay. Um, yeah, um, I don't know what your initial feelings are about even just 3D platformers in general, um, but I feel like all the sort of 3D platformers that work, whether they be Sonic or Mario or, you know... Um, Banjo-Kazooie, um, seem to be about exploration more than necessarily, um, you know, platforming. Um, whereas, like, the 2D Sonic games are basically about going as fast as you can and, you know, reacting. Yes. So, that is the thing that I keep hearing a lot. And I kind of disagree. Oh. Yeah, well, it, it, is an, it is a feature, but I honestly think that the like playing through generations um a bit playing mania again like the the big thing is about curling up into a ball more than anything like that that is sonic's jump uh that's sonic's version of mario's jump you know and it's in everything it's how you gain momentum it's how you lose momentum it's how you attack an enemy it's how you strike something uh you know really um the speed is just 
um you know like that's a nice to have thing like it's to help you navigate for sure like you need a bit of momentum but um but really it's all about like tucking properly and and using those hedgehog spikes and that ball roll thing Uh, yeah or but it does seem to be a common thing that everyone says that you know sonic's all about speed and i think if you look at the 3d games you definitely get uh, get that impression but i don't think that's what's going on in the 2d games and i think that might be part of the problem so anyway i thought i'd walk through some of my impressions as i went through the various styles of gameplay in sonic generations starting sort of with the original uh green hill zone in 2d um and just kind of catalog loosely like how how i feel about it and what it's doing reasonably well and that sort of thing or at least uh in respect to the 2d game um that's not to say that the uh 2d games i don't want to hold them up on some pedestal that's like uh you know unwarranted but i do feel as though you know for me and for my sake i think maybe the uh the, the problem with 3D Sonics is is their departure from the 2D Sonics formula. Or, you know, it, it seems to me as though the 3D Sonics have been unconvincing in their uh, execution of Sonic gameplay and the 2D Sonics are undisputedly effective. Like, nobody's saying 2D Sonics don't achieve what they set out to do. Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of an interesting genealogical problem um like other than sort of the the aesthetics of it like what carries over once sonic makes the transition from 2d to 3d Mm. um like i mean and you sort of have a look at the mario games like is you know super mario 64 like just a fundamentally different game to um the super mario brothers other than there's a red man that jumps on mushrooms um or is there you know a line you can draw between them yeah and that that is an interesting experiment and that's um that's a lot of what i've been visiting in um in my sonic demo in godot is based around that same thing uh because you know uh mario kind of famously and the game that was released on the wii u went back to the 3d formula and said what if it was just the 2d formula again but in this in this time it's in 3d and so you do get a dramatically different game in uh super mario 3d world and land before it which is where that experiment kind of started um and it is very much just platforming for the sake of platforming and the exploration has been minimized um but it's still incredibly effective um and then you start to see with their move into um not so much odyssey but back again into bowser's fury which is admittedly odyssey like and also admittedly 3d world like at the same time there is a spiritual connection between the styles um and you know maybe they're forcing that a little bit in bowser's fury but yeah i think maybe uh there it's it's a similar thing like maybe nintendo made two good types of game and everybody just said oh look that's a transition from 2d to 3d we can do that too and didn't spend the time Mm. but uh yeah anyway with the uh so i'm gonna start with the uh sonic generations um original gameplay so this is not the original sonic gameplay it's generations proxy to 2d gameplay um and initially right off the bat the running and jumping feels pretty close like the takeoff the landing the jumping the jumping into a ball the getting down spin dashing 
Um, you know, most things kind of do what you'd expect in a 2D Sonic game. There's a few parts that are a little bit off, like slopes handle a little bit differently, and it's a bit harder to tuck into a ball than it is on the 2D games. Um, and maybe it's a bit fast, and maybe the camera's a bit too zoomed in. But, I mean, uh, otherwise, Emerald Hill looks fantastic. Um, you know, there's a few bits where it's a bit auto-runny. And, um, yeah, otherwise, it's it's quite a faithful adaption, on the surface, at least. Um few problems when you when you take a closer look like uh you know the 3d paths thing which i'll get into in a little bit um you know often in uh the classic sonic games there was a high path and a low path sometimes an in between as well and the high path was kind of higher risk um higher speed but um felt more rewarding if you could maintain that um so it was more difficult to stay on the high road and the low road would be a little bit cruisier and there's still challenges, but they don't require quite as much momentum. Um, and if you ever fell off or messed up on the high path, you'd end up on the low path. And there'd be ways to transition between them. And that was kind of missing from the Sonic Generations, let's call it original gameplay. Yeah, I feel like that um, having the more difficult path is a very important part of platformers because that's how you sort of achieve that sense of mastery over the game or it's like one of the ways that you achieve a sense of mastery over the game mm. yeah it definitely if you watch uh sonic in speed runs or you watch a season player you do get the feeling that sonic is about going fast and that that is what creates that feeling that high road um which allows you to maintain momentum with a seasoned player that's very much the only thing you see if you're more of a, a you know an amateur, you're a, a new player. You're going to spend a lot less time on that high path and a lot more time doing just getting your hands dirty with some good old-fashioned jump and run and and attack enemies platforming. Yeah, it's a very sort of pure form of game design. Like we we're sort of talking about, you know, skill trees earlier, and that's sort of like a way that games sort of trick you into having a sense of mastery over the game by you know just giving you more things you can do whereas you know these sorts of games like it is you actually getting better at the the set of tools that the developer has given you to perform the game with and um this is one of the ways that it sort of lets you demonstrate to yourself that you're getting better yes absolutely so you know not full marks for the original gameplay but uh, let's say you know it, it, it's a, a pretty high scoring uh, you know experience there. And uh, the overall impression I got, and this was just over and over again, I was just baffled that this is a thing that they are able to presently do, but choose not to. Like, I don't understand how Sonic Team can have this at any time, and they just choose not to. It just, it seems like it's a great option for them. Um, you know, it's not, it's not Mania's level of quality, but it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's got to wonder why is it, you know, them not understanding their own game or I just, it just seems like leaving money on the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know. Maybe they're particularly married to the way that they switched to 3D. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, let's get into the new gameplay styles. So in 3D, there's, there's, I've kind of split it up into three types of gameplay, at least in, um, in Green Hill. Um, so we've got the running gameplay, which is the cameras chased 
behind Sonic. Um, so it's kind of a little bit like, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know what it's like, Crash Bandicoot, maybe. Uh, you then have the tunnel gameplay, which is a little bit like the bonus levels in Sonic 2. Camera is still behind, but you're going around a tunnel. Um, and then you have the uh, Generations 2D gameplay, which is all of the 3D mechanics in a brief 2D section or segment of the game. So taking a look at the main one, which is the running gameplay. And um, look, it, this, it, yeah, it's it's definitely not as fun to control. Um, you can see a bit further, but you can't really do as much in any given moment. Uh, like at one stage, I missed a coin and you have, to, you know, you turn around to come back and the distance between the camera and Sonic is about, I don't know, maybe five meters, maybe three meters. I don't really know what the scale is, but it's not really enough to fix a mistake in. Like there's not, it's very clear which way the game wants you to head. Um, yeah. And it's still kind of that one dimensional, like axi- one axis of free movement, horizontal there, you know? Yeah. And it's just harder to perceive what's coming up from that perspective yeah they've kind of taken one side of the one axis you can move and clipped it off at the like near the sonic yeah yeah that i don't know that doesn't feel as good to start with um another thing that's interesting is like three quarters of your joystick angles are forwards so you can go backwards but they've dedicated less than you would expect of your joystick to going backwards um, and so left is still left and right is still right, but the, there's just massive dead zones before it will let you go backwards, um, yeah. which I, I found that quite interesting. Uh, it feels weird to have a character controller kind of, you know, not agree we'll with stop you. stop responding at certain points, yeah. <laughs> character controller says, no, I, I know better. Um, another one, the camera's locked incredibly low. Like, uh, Sonic is genuinely blocking what's on the horizon, like, it's just a camera between... Like, Sonic is between the horizon and the camera at all times. Uh, so I understand that in the 2D games, you, your forward um, direction was always kind of missing. And at full speed, you would need to work from memory. Um, I, again, I'm not entirely... Like, I don't entirely agree that those games were about being full speed. Not for all players, especially not for new players. Um, but, yeah... Um, and the other one is it's just too fast. Like, you're not really taking anything in. Um, it, it kind of becomes a bit of a quick time sequence at when it's at its worst, or maybe a rhythm game when it's at its best, so it feels like Guitar Hero, but the song is not present. Um, and, like, let's just take a moment to talk about that bloody boost dash, which just feels like an I win button. It's like, yeah. you can see an enemy jump at some stage before the enemy, and then when you're in the air, jump again, which is the button you've already just pressed, and just start wildly mashing it, and, and Sonic will clear the enemies, and then once this brief intermission is over, you can get back to just dodging from side to side. Yeah, I wonder if that was part of the design from the start, or if that was like an iterative thing where it's like it was too hard to hit enemies without it and then they sort of overcompensated that's how the game ended up yeah i have no idea i haven't really played the sonic adventure games which is probably like yeah that's probably missing from this episode honestly like we are missing that bit of information yeah (laughs) um but uh you know, like, if, if this is... I mean, this is the one people keep citing as, you know, a good example of the 3D gameplay. So, you know, I, I, I thought this would be the right thing to evaluate. 
Um, so the other one is the tunnel gameplay. So this looks a lot like uh, Sonic 2. Every now and then, when you're running in that 3D Crash Bandicoot mode, you'll go into a tunnel, and then all of a sudden, that tunnel is like Sonic 2. I always thought that felt amazing in Sonic 2's bonus levels, um, where you're going around the tunnel and you're collecting the rings. Admittedly, it was the first time I'd seen anything that had depth, uh, you know, or a depth axis that wasn't a racing game. Well, um, because... I, I was sort of late to get a um, console. The first time I saw that was in the Jazz Jackrabbit game. Oh, right. Yes. That? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was... I, I, I remember that favorably, but it, it must have been ugly, right? Yeah, no, I don't think that holds off. <laughs> um, whereas the Sonic 2 one, uh, you know, it still looks all right. Um, it's not great, don't get me wrong. Um, and, yeah, like the uh, the... the version that was done by um christian whitehead the sonic mania guy because he remastered that that looks awesome but um i don't think that counts no but uh i, I do think it's like a interesting difference in kind in gameplay um yeah yeah like it's it's a nice way to sort of break up the, the main uh game style yes it does kind of feel as though like they keep switching from the main gameplay which kind of feels like they don't like it either i'm not sure uh, but what the tunnel gameplay is better, and it's better because it loops, and that adds like a little bit of depth to the navigation because you can kind of go all the way left and back around, or you can kind of go right and back around. And even though it's quite similar, uh, that does give you that one extra choice um, that isn't in the other game style. Um, yeah, well, it, it makes left and right actually interesting yeah and when you jump off from whichever angle you're on um that does have like a good feel too because you're crossing to the opposite side of the tunnel pretty much um so that's another dimension that you're adding to it like really you could make a compelling argument that that is a successful style of sonic gameplay adapted to 3d just the tunnel on its own Mm -hmm. um admittedly it's going to be missing a lot of the ingredients again um I've got a table coming up. Oh, it's exciting. There's a diagram. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give that one a... Yeah, that succeeds for me, even uh, where the main new running gameplay style doesn't. So we'll call that tunnel gameplay, and we'll call the other one, the default one, crash gameplay, and we'll say that uh, the crash gameplay, nah, not, not into it. The tunnel gameplay, yeah. yep, I'm into it. And then there's the third style, which is... The generation's new 2D gameplay, which is they've taken the game controller of the new Sonic and they've made a 2D section. And this is utterly garbage. (laughs) It is the most sloppy bullshit I've ever played. It reminds me of that Sonic the Hedgehog episode 4, whatever one, or 4 episode 1 thing that they did there. Like, it's just misguided. Um... I don't understand how you could have that 2D gameplay and the original mode 2D gameplay in the same game. Like, was there any QA stuff on this? Was there any design stuff on this? What's going on? Yeah, it's it's just baffling. Um, I imagine they budged it like trying to, you know, get absolutely everything into the game and ended up making something that appealed to no one. Yeah, there, there is a bit of a feel from 
you know, some of the recent Sonic games, uh, particularly the 3D ones. Actually, only the 3D ones. Sonic Mania um, feels like it was uh, just refined and refined and refined and refined. But that feeling doesn't come from forces and it doesn't come from colours even. Actually, colours is one of the better ones. But yeah, like Lost World... um, we could do a whole episode on Lost World um, because it's got a genuine bunch of interesting ideas and fixes to the Sonic 3D gameplay and just feels like it's a half-baked piece of uh, undercooked uh, Sonic thing. I don't know what you'd call that. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, this new, the new 2D Sonic game. I mean, if you've got inferior... 3D gameplay. Don't compare it so closely to the superior 2D gameplay. Like, don't double down on it. Don't put them side by side. Yeah, it's like, oh, this is the thing people liked. Maybe we can fix this by adding that to that. Yeah. No, you now you've just got two bad things. It does feel a lot like they don't know what worked in the first place. Um, and then the other one was just a note on all three of them is the perspective switches just feel weird like there's no way to justify that and then all of a sudden there's cutscenes in places where sonic invariably does something cooler than you can do with a controller um yeah and he's just like well why am i here? that wasn't me yeah why am i here (laughs) just let the blue guy do what he wants to do he seems to be doing fine on his own um right so i mean overwhelmingly the 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 feeling is that it's underwhelming it's overwhelmingly underwhelming yeah. It just feels like a shame on most turns. The OG gameplay, um, it was all right. Like, it's 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 pretty decent. Um, it would be really... Yeah, like, it, it, it's hard to mess, mess that up, like, when you're sort of sticking that close to it. Yeah. It does, like, it, it strikes me as odd that they're kind of like, all right, we've got the 3D gameplay and we're going to try and bring the 2D gameplay into it. It's like, oh, you're so close. Go the other way. Take the 2D gameplay yeah. and add some dimensionality to that and see what happens there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so so I went with that impression that the original gameplay was all right. The next thing on, on my journey was to go into Sonic Mania and play, you know, the Green Hill Zone in that straight after the original one and see how I felt. And there's just... There were just so many things that immediately just stuck out to me as better. Like, going backwards to get a ring. That was immediately something that happened for me. Um, you know, getting a power-up that granted invincibility. Power-ups in general, they're just... Yeah, it's interesting to me that they're not there. Balling up to kill an enemy. So, he's going, alright, I'm gonna jump at that enemy and kill it. Felt great. I felt like I did it with my own hands. Yeah, with the, the tools that the game provided you. Yeah. Balling up to go downhill and gain momentum. Like, oh, that always feels great. Um, and then being able to stop that, like, cease your momentum. That's really, really important as well. Like, it, it feels like you've earned it and owned it and stopped it and all that stuff. Um, at one stage, I fell from the high path to the low path. I was like... Yep, that's that's cool. I mean, it's frustrating, but it's the right kind of frustrating. You know, like it's a, it's that, ah, damn it. I, I, I'm on backup yeah. strategies now, so. Yeah, it's the sort of promise that had you done something different, there would have been a different outcome, mm. which I think the other one 
sort of like it feels like you're not entirely in control of that maybe that's the thing maybe at some stage there they went oh that doesn't feel good being put on a low path and maybe that's something they tried to fix and maybe that was maybe a mistake i'm not sure um it it does feel odd to me that that's gone but i can see why you might get rid of it now i guess um bonus stages hey it's cool doing a bonus stage every now and then um yeah, yeah like they breaks up the gameplay that's it you don't need to switch perspectives over and over again you can just have a bonus thing and i can choose whether or not to do it um help from tails so i was like yeah i'm gonna get tails to lift me up into the air and you know i admittedly i never use this but it, it was there and i was like that's cool um the ball jump in boss stages so yeah it's just the most important thing there's no other way to beat a boss like they just seems like in the 3d sonics you just kind of keep running until the boss goes away. Um, yeah. In this, you've got to yeah. fucking knock him eight times. Every bloody time, keep knocking him. Yeah, it's those, those auto attacks where it, it kind of feels like going to a safari park where, like, you know, the, the staff there are holding down the elephant for you to shoot at point blank range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite good. Um, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. Uh, yeah, it's like, I, I didn't earn this. Yeah, or it's like running around the outside of a boxing ring until your competitor falls asleep and then winning because they could no longer stand up. So it's taken you like 25 hours or something for them to eventually fall asleep, but you've won anyway because they've they've had to sleep uh, yeah I'm not yeah I think yours is probably better um, yeah well so it goes back to that point I had about um, platformers being about a sense of mastery and like the player knows when the well there's lots of tricks that game designers do to you know help you without you feeling like you're being helped but a lot of the time that goes too far and you know you can see the the zip in the monster's costume. And um, I think this is, you know, one of the more egregious examples. Yeah, yeah, the boss stages do feel a bit weird in the 3D Sonic stuff. Um, I mean, if you're listening to this and you heavily disagree with me, then, you know, swing the podcast a um, a message. Uh, I'd be happy to play something that, you know, um, proves me wrong in that case because, you know, I'm always looking out for it. And with the exception of if I have to play through, like, you know, 10 hours of Sonic to get to that, then maybe maybe I'll just watch a video or something. Or Yeah, um, anyway... But, I, yeah, I was of the impression after playing through just a bit of Sonic Mania that the ball jump mechanic is actually Sonic's defining attribute more than, you know, running quickly. Um, especially the way that you win everything is by, you know, making sure that you know when to get into that ball and when to use that at speed. And you use the ball to gain the speed. So it's like everything, including speed, if you trace it back to the decision you make as a player, it's to ball or not to ball. Yeah, no, it's... um. It's like Mario's hat in Odyssey, like that's your tool. And then the game tries to come up with as many different ways that you can use that tool to make it interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it, and and that, I mean, that's just, that works every time. Like you, the, that whole doubling down on your main mechanic and feeding it into more things. And you just keep plugging that same move into absolutely everything in the world. Like Nintendo's famously been good at that um and it seems to just be utterly missing from the 3d sonic stuff um so after playing mania i went back to sonic generations one more time to play green hill in 2d again and then like my impression was yeah it's it's the camera's too close sonic's too small 
you're running too fast um it's too zoomed in and there's no multi-path stuff so all right i've done a table up here we go these are, these are the features these are features from from 2d sonic and uh and we're going to see whether or not they're in the 2d generations and we're going to see whether or not they're in generations as 3d modes all right so starting with going fast uh we can agree that sonic 2d generations 2d and sonic 3d all go fast. Yeah, gotta go yeah, fast. Yeah, well, maybe they can settle down on the going fast because I can't see a fucking thing. <laughs> Collecting rings. Yep, all three of them have it. No surprises there. Going backwards. I've gone yes for Sonic 2D, yes for Generations 2D, and sort of for Sonic 3D. Yeah, only if you move your uh, control stick back far enough. Yeah, yeah, you got to be real careful with your control stick. And then eventually it will it will follow you. The camera will follow you and allow you to see backwards if you really stick at it. Um, yeah, you got to yeah, want it. It's, it's, yeah, and that, that doesn't feel great. Um, so ball kill, that's getting into a ball to kill. Um, obviously Sonic 2D has it, Generations 2D has it. Sonic 3D doesn't. I'm not calling the homing attack a ball kill because yeah, it does, nah, you, you're not no. you're not doing that. Yeah, like you're literally a ball, but it's not in the the spirit of being a ball. Yeah, you're not you're not going. You know what? I'm just gonna like let my spikes out. You suddenly gain momentum like you're uh, a super saiyan and just dart off in one direction until you've killed the enemy yeah i don't know about that it doesn't feel like a platformer if i'm doing that um and then ball roll same deal uh you can't roll up into a ball in sonic 3d uh to the generations 2d credit that was actually quite good the spin dash um and with the exception of it being a little bit finicky to jump into a roll um it was pretty good um then on the multiple paths front uh sonic 2d of course is yes generations is no not really and sonic 3d is hells no um tails is help obviously sonic 2d only bonus stages sonic 2d only and enter exit a run whenever you want and this is my pet peeve with the sonic 3d stuff sonic 2d you can stop whenever you want it takes you a while to build momentum but you can remove that momentum away as well sonic generations 2d you can do that a bit there's sometimes where there's cut scenes um sonic 3d you just can't do it you can't do it mate it, if you get that momentum there's just not you're not getting rid of it yeah i i wonder if it's the to do with the control stick and like how you sort of like counteract your own momentum um, or if it's just something they just didn't put a lot of thought into. I, I don't know. Yeah, it it's frustrating in a lot of ways that, yeah, they, they're just not really that comfortable going back to the drawing board with this stuff. And, I mean, there has been so many uh, opportunities to. Um, so someone there has a vested interest in this 3D style of gameplay, I guess. Yeah, like I, I know sort of in the um, dawn of 3D games, there was sort of like a, almost like a reactionary movement against 2D and it became like quite unfashionable to do 2D. It wasn't sort of till like indie games came a thing that there was sort of like a revival of 2D and, you know, you could release 2D games without it mm. uh, feeling dated. Any, but uh, I don't think the Sonic games have quite uh, gotten over that yet. Yeah. It's it's actually interesting because I guess the comparison over and over again is is Mario, but I think probably a fairer comparison would be uh, Donkey Kong in the uh, you know the Donkey Kong Country series 
made a terrible jump into 3D. Uh, that's probably one of the only games I've ever sold uh, uh, that I've bought. You know, like I, I remember I was actually fighting K. Rule, and at one stage I died, and I was like, I hate this. And I just, I took it and doing EV games and got the trade in and ended up buying Perfect Dark. So I gave money to the same people that got me into that situation in the first place. But, um, you know. Of the Donkey Kong wrapped and sell it to I actually liked that at the time. Yeah, that's, that's pretty <laughs> I mean, good they song. were finally there and performing for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, that, yeah. And then they went back. Or well, they took a long, long break. But um, eventually, when Retro Studios picked it back up, and it's you know Donkey Kong in 3D, like everybody loves the um, the remade, well, re, not remade, the new Donkey Kong Country. Mm. Uh, Tropical Freeze is awesome, but for some of the boss fights, are a little bit long. Um, I think I finished it. I either finished it or there's one boss fight to go. And I've taken it to cash converters um, <laughs> or EB games, and I'll yeah. get Perfect Dark Zero. No, uh, again, like I think, yeah, the when they went back to the drawing board, they worked out what was actually good about the originals, and they, you know, iterated on mm. that. Um, they are missing a couple of things, and maybe there's a future episode in this, um, <laughs> like the the Kong team ups, being able to throw Kongs around. Um, and uh, the significance of the pacing of the levels, because they always had, um, you know, it was start, DK barrel, halfway point, DK barrel, and there'd be two Kong ladders either side of the halfway barrel. There's only one halfway barrel there. Every level had a set formula to it. And there was a lot of creativity uh, creativity in the levels, but they had a like a really set formula yeah, there's there's a whole episode in in the level design of the Donkey Kong Country series, both under Rare's umbrella and under Retro's umbrella, and the differences. Suffice to say, Retro did a very good job. It's just a different style. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to go back and play Donkey Kong 64 a couple oh. of times in preparation for the episode. No, we won't ever do an episode <laughs> on that garbage game. And if you liked it, then I apologize for calling you wrong. So I guess uh, what what are our conclusions? From uh, Sonic 2D to 3D. Oh, look, there's there's still to be a convincing Sonic 3D in my eyes. And, yeah, like, I'm doing a little bit of uh, dev work there to explore what that might look like, and I'm not saying that I'm going to get it right, but I'm definitely going to give it a try. Um, I'm not sure if you've played Sonic Lost World. No, I haven't. Okay, so Sonic Lost World is probably... It's not one that we looked at for this, but um, I've, I've played it both on PC and on 3DS... And they're actually entirely different game. Um, like different studios, absolutely everything. Huh. The levels are completely different. Um, the 3DS one is actually much better than the uh, PC, Steam, PlayStation, Xbox one. Um, but they did some really interesting things to kind of band-aid some of that stuff. Now, you know, I was saying the tunnel gameplay from... Um, Sonic 2 is represented in generations, but it's on the inside of a tunnel. Well, they did the opposite thing. They went, right, we're going to Mario Galaxy this, but instead of spheres, we're going to make cylinders, um, and you are running around the outside of them. Uh, so you, you that left and right stuff, check. That's definitely there. Um, you've got, you know, the they added a run button to a Sonic game, <laughs> and it's great. 
it, it's so good. Like, honestly, like people complained about that, but I was like, hell yeah, I can choose when not to run. This is, this is amazing. Like, I guess it's a, almost like a, an accelerator in a racing game, right? Yeah. And when you, when you hold it down, he, he becomes an idiot, frankly, and he's just going real fast and he's not doing anything particularly well, but it's great. Like it does feel good in certain sections. And then if you let go of it, then you can, you know, run around, grab some rings, that sort of thing. And it gave him the ability to also kind of contextually start to pull the camera into the way you need it to be. Um, because when you start moving with the run button down, it starts going, oh, yeah, you need to see further ahead. And when you let go of it again, it kind yeah. of, you know, bird's eye views a little bit. Um, and it's subtle, but it works. Um, again, this is slightly different on the... Um, console version to the 3DS version, uh, but both of them do the main mechanics pretty well. Uh, where they differ is the level design on the 3DS one is much, much nicer than on the console version for some reason. Okay, so um, like you mentioned, you're you're doing some mm. uh, experiments with uh, trying to take what, what would make a good 3D Sonic mm. game. Um, what have you taken from the the 2D Sonic uh, principles? Well, yeah, I am I am currently running a bunch of experiments, and hopefully, um, I'll put some stuff on YouTube soon. Trademark limited. Uh, there's no, yeah, there's there's no guarantees that I'm going to show what I've got. Um, just because, yeah, I don't really know why I'm doing them. I'm just I'm curious. I'm curious <laughs> about like what what's there. But there are a couple of theories. Um, I've got a version where you can run around and you've got full agency, so you've got the ability to enter and exit a ball, the spin dash is in. Um, it's a little bit slower, and honestly, I feel like it feels better, like it feels more like the 2D ones. Um, you've got something that's quick, but it's not so quick as to be insane. Um, and... I still haven't managed to completely solve the um, it's slow enough for you to maneuver first time because that's a big thing in Super Meat Boy is like even if you're like if you're really good at it and you don't remember the level you still stand a chance um, but yeah that's that's definitely not the case in 3D Sonic stuff it's not the case in 2D Sonic stuff either to be fair um, so that's kind of that'll be a nice one to have um, another thing that I intend to play around with but haven't done yet is quicksilver time or the quicksilver effect so you know in like marvel and also the x-men things everything slows down yeah everything yeah. slows down so you get the um i'm thinking of having like a sound barrier thing where when you break it it just like all of a sudden everything is like a third of the speed and like all wavy lines and all that sort of shit and you can i think they did that a bunch in the sonic movie didn't they they did yeah they they really yeah. did um <laughs> Uh, he's moving at normal speed and everything else is in slow motion. I'm like, how did they not figure th this one out? Like in the, uh, either way that, that to me seems like it's a no brainer, but we'll see, uh, a lot, oftentimes that time, um, manipulation stuff can get a little bit finicky to implement, but I mean, so far this thing's looking real nice. And, uh, I had to. I had weeks that I lost on the uh, on the procedural mesh generation stuff that I mentioned in our previous episodes because, of course, I wanted to use that for this. But then I had to make it so that my procedural mesh could generate 
loops and twists and upside down stuff and oh my god that just took so long yeah no, that's the uh the siren call of uh full development yeah but on the plus side i think i have maybe the first version of that that anyone's done i don't know i i don't know i can't find it anywhere else otherwise i wouldn't have done it yeah well, i mean if it's uh not in the Unity forums, then I think it's safe to say that it's a unique idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's not. There's nothing uh, in the asset store quite like it. Uh, it is for Godot rather than Unity, but yeah, that, you're right. That's where you're going to find the same tool by somebody else in the uh, Unity community. Yeah, so a lot of interesting experiments ongoing there, but um, yeah, nothing really to show just yet. Hoping to have something to show, you know, in the next month or so, and I might do a YouTube video on converting Sonic to 3D all over again. Because that's, that's what really got this going, is that Mario 3D World, um, you know, restart the whole conversion to 3D with just the 2D template thing. Yeah, no, um... Like, it did get me thinking about, um, again, Mario 64 to the older Super Mario Brothers and, like, what is the connective tissue beyond the the skinning of those games? Mm. And, you know, can you, can you make that transition from 2D to 3D or do you really need to make two separate games? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that is an interesting... Uh, interesting idea. Um, it, it does feel to me like there is more of a connection between, uh, you know, Super Mario World and 64 than there would be for 64. And, like, if you had no Super Mario World as the in-between guy there, then it wouldn't make as much sense because it, it definitely does that whole, you know, multiple goalposts kind of thing and a little bit more exploration in it, um, a bit more on the path thing. They really started exploring the two dimensions a lot more in Super Mario World. Yeah. Um, and coming out with some crazy ideas. But then 64 is just nothing like, nothing like it, really, other than, you know maybe that race level even then yeah yeah but um i think yeah 64 sort of the the first one that sort of realized that it, it sort of took mario's jump and said let's see how many different things we can do with this mm. one concept and i think that's something that have sort of carried through each of their game and i think it's something that hasn't really been applied to the fullest extent in sonic 3d games yeah and i think i think you're right it is it is the ball the yeah the ball's the thing you need to uh, perfect. I mean, yeah, I, I keep going back to that. I mean, I did that uh, that Foxtrot Roll game, which, yeah, hopefully I'll, again with the soon thing, but have that on the App Store soon-ish. And that is just, what if you just did the rolling um, and and that sort of thing? And there is actually a spin dash in that too. I mean, it's not a spin dash. Get off my back, lawyers. <laughs> a similar but... Legally distinct uh, ball rust. Yeah, that it do, and it does feel legally distinct in the hand, I must say. Yeah. Like, yeah. the legal distinction yeah, no. of it is what sort of stood out <laughs> to me the most. Yeah. No, I, I played the game. The first thing that I thought was, uh, this is going to stand up in a court of law. <laughs> um, no, it, it's quite different. And I actually only put that in there to... Um, to help you get out of tight spots when you get stuck. But, um, yeah, we'll see if that comes out, and we'll see if the Sonic thing comes out too, because it would be good to do that as well. The only problem I've really got with my Sonic prototype work is I don't really have a level. I just have, like, a bunch of 
you know, curvy hills and I've just been running around those over and over again and just making sure that it feels good. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's usually the first thing you want to do when you're um, designing a game, right? The the moment-to-moment gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I usually time box these things to like 24 hours worth of footage. Um, and yeah. I used up all 24 hours just on movement um after I'd gotten the uh, you know the procedural mesh stuff right, which I didn't time, but let's just say a god awful amount of time, and then um, then after that I started doing the Sonic stuff, and I was like, all right, yeah, that this is this is great, and it's feeling good, and it just took a very long time to get him to run around loops right, to get the responsiveness where I wanted it to be, to get all the squash and stretch stuff. Now it feels like great, but I'm sure if I put it in someone else's hands, they'll they'll you know, bulk at it or something like that. Um, but yeah, and there's also the question of like, am I actually making a Sonic game or am I making a different game that just kind of um, has some of those same ideas in it? And the answer is probably, you know, I'll go and find that legally distinct gameplay that I had in the previous one and, and bring that across. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my joke name for the project is quickly the porcupine. <laughs> yeah, again, legally yeah, distinct. It's, it's quickly. Is just quickly, quickly porcupine. Yeah. What color is he? Oh, he's like brown, like porcupine. Yeah. Yeah. You, no one's got a copyright on porcupines. Yeah. I could make him like nah. I was like, yeah, I could make him like red, but nah, nah, no, <laughs> no reason, <laughs> just nah. Yeah. Or um, make him that gold, like that dress on the internet that looks blue to some people. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to require some really interesting palettes in order to convince people that that's what that is. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, um, yeah, I guess, what are we doing in the next episode? Are we going to finally do your The Room breakdown? Are uh, you going to show us what you've got there? Yeah, no, I think enough time's passed for us to do another RPG design episode. Yeah, cool. All right, well, looking forward to that. Um, so until next time, I've been Dale. I've been Tom. And say your catchphrase. It's it's all game, baby. No, it's all game, baby. I thought your catchphrase was... Oh, that'd make a good episode of the podcast. I think that's our catchphrase. All right, it's all game, baby. Bye.